we really started educating ourselves on not only real estate investing, but me becoming a realtor. And then we turned that one into a rental, bought another single family live-in flip. Um, and then we started buying more properties on the side and just investing. And now we have five short-term rentals, 11 long-term rentals. And right now we're looking for multifamily. You're listening to The Real FI Podcast, where we discuss time-tested tricks, techniques, and strategies for pursuing financial independence today so that we can enjoy a better tomorrow. A better tomorrow. Financial independence isn't about getting rich quick. It's about cultivating a foundation to grow financially, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Let's figure out how to kick the nine to five. Here are your hosts, Patrick and James. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Real FI Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick McGrath, with my co-host, James Ripion. How's it going today, James? Going well, Patrick. Another good day. I'm glad to be here. Me too. Glad to be here. So we have two great guests, not just one. First time we've had a couple on. First time we've done two guests at once. So we're excited. We have Blaine and Lily. How are you guys doing this evening? What's up, guys? Thanks for having us. We are doing great. Doing well. Double trouble. We got both of us here. (laughs) I know, right? Hopefully we get double the nuggets uh, for this one and it's going to blow up. So let's get started. James, take it away. So Blaine and Lily, you know, we always like to get started by hearing some background information on our guest. We want to know where you started, what you started doing and how you ended up getting to where you are now. So fill us in about the background, maybe about how you guys met and how you first started getting into investing and what that all looked like. All right. Well, uh, we were both teachers and uh, she was a a brand new teacher in the the school that I was teaching at. And when I saw her, I just knew right then and there, I need to go talk to her. And next thing you know, two years later, we're married. Um, And I had owned a, I still own, but I have a three flat in Chicago and I was living in the top floor and I owned that with a two buddies of mine. So we each own three levels and she moved in with me. And while we were there, we were starting to get to that point where we were thinking about buying a personal residence for just us. And we were toying with the idea of renting out the place. And we decided to actually throw it on Airbnb back in, when was that? 2009? Um, Yeah. Eight or nine. Okay. So in Chicago back then, Airbnb was like, Easy peasy. Uh, We just threw it on there. We were booked solid. Like the minute, I mean, I remember we were sitting on the couch. We were like, let's just try. We don't have kids. Like we took all of our clothes out and it was like the minute we listed it, we had a booking like that night. We listed it um, with pictures of our own furniture. And then we had bookings instantly and we needed to move out as soon as possible and um, had no furniture. So we literally just moved out, left the furniture there and we needed to find a place to live. Then we started and house hacking with our mom. And dad. <laughs> yeah, we, we had no furniture. So that's how we ended up with my parents' house for a little bit. So yeah, we ended up moving in with her parents, which conveniently was like three blocks from the school that we both taught at. Um and that that unit in uh, in Roscoe Village did very well for two solid years. 
And then the city started kind of clamping down and causing problems. So then we ended up going back to long-term tenancy, but we ended up buying a home together that was a live-in flip. So we went from living in our parents for about six months, found a house, started rehabbing it while we were living in our parents. And then we moved in there once we had a good chunk of it done. And then from there, we just kind of didn't even realize what we were, you know, kind of getting into as far as like, wow, we kind of started this ball rolling with real estate and didn't really know. And then we, we got that house up and running. I got my real estate license. We really started educating ourselves on not only real estate investing, but me becoming a realtor. And then we turned that one into a rental, bought another single family live-in flip. Um, and then we started buying more properties on the side and just investing. And now we have five short-term rentals, 11 long-term rentals. And right now we're looking for multifamily. So five, eight plus units is really where we're headed right now. And we did have a couple of kids along the way during <laughs> a lot of this live and flipping, which I think Blaine put it kind of lightly, but let, let's be honest. We tore walls down. We added beams. We did the exterior. We literally gutted the whole house. Um, that house is now on Airbnb and uh, we listed it recently and is pretty much fully booked through August. It is currently March. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's doing really, really awesome. Yeah, it did well with long-term tenant too. Yeah. You guys have so many experiences. You've accomplished so much. You've done a little bit of everything, it sounds like. I want to touch bases on the uh, OG Airbnb rentals that you started doing from 2009. Had you guys been doing short-term rentals this whole time continuously since 2009? Or was there any breaks in that? We would have had a lot more money if we did, though. We should have. Yeah, if we would have bought like down in Florida or somewhere and <laughs> yeah. had those now, we'd be, we'd be oh, man. Um, but no, we, so coincidentally, when we did the Airbnb at that, uh, or short-term rental, I should say, in Chicago, it was going so well when we bought the house in our second primary residence, the live-in flip. Once we got it kind of looking good, we were going on a trip to Colorado for like two months. And we were like, why don't we just see what happens? So we listed that one. Our personal residence. Yeah. Again. And so we had the one in Chicago that was doing well already. And we were like, well, let's try this one in the burbs. And sure enough, like it was booked while we were in Colorado, it essentially paid for our trip. And yeah, paid for a trip and the mortgage. It was great. And we, you know, we were teachers, so we, we would always travel a lot. I think what happened is life got in the way we didn't have the right systems in place as far as Airbnb. Um, at that time it was Airbnb and home away. Now it's VRBO. Um, but I think we didn't have the right systems in place. We had two kids back to back two under two, and we also had projects in our own house. And so I think it was just getting too much. And between that and full-time jobs, Blaine also, you know, was working two jobs because he became a real estate agent. So it just, we're kind of like, okay, I know we're making more money here, but I don't think we really saw the full vision to be honest until like, I think Blaine kind of discovered bigger pockets. And then we ended up reading rich dad, poor dad. And it was, I think at the time it was kind of like, okay, this is nice. This is extra money, but I don't think we really like, we were landlords, but I don't think we really understood it to how we understand it now. And you know, now we, we try to teach that on, on Blaine's Instagram and we'll create reels and stuff just because it's like, we feel like we have this like knowledge that most people don't know. And it's like, you know, like 
you have your mortgage pay down, but you can make money off of this. And if you accumulate, you know, enough properties, then, you know, you can actually like leave your job and not have to work for 60 or 50 years, whatever, you know, whatever, however long, but, you know, so I feel like, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of why we haven't continued. We restart, we started the, um, the short-term rental stuff recently. It was less than a year ago, probably nine months ago. And it was another one of those things where we posted some pictures. It wasn't fully furnished. (laughs) We were hustling day and night up all night, the night before and the day of trying to get it ready because it just booked so fast. I love that. Like, I mean, my, my key takeaway from the first five minutes is that you guys literally just went for it. You didn't have really anything in place, didn't know what was going to happen, but you're like, Hey, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And it ended up working because you, you literally took action. You, you went for it and you said, we'll figure it out along the way. I think that's the biggest hang up most people have. And a lot of people probably listen to this and that listen to other podcasts and read books and all of that. There's so much information out there and there's so many different ways that things could go that a lot of the times people feel like they just have to understand every single little piece and have every system in place and, and all of this. And it's really like the best learning experience you're going to get is by doing it, you know, and, and that's what you guys did. And like you said, unfortunately, you didn't learn back in 2009, 2010 and go on a buying spree all across the East Coast and and uh, be sitting here millionaires right now and not have the time to talk to us. But <laughs> we're here and you do. And I think you have such a ton of value to add out there because even, you know, for when we had our conversation a few months ago, that a lot of these Airbnbs, I'm pretty sure you're talking about, are in the suburbs. They're not beachfront homes. They're not really in downtown Chicago where the tourists go. I think you do have one kind of in that area, maybe two, but most of them are like suburbs and you guys are killing it. So I think that is such some great knowledge for people out there. Like, Hey, you can Airbnb in a neighborhood, you know? So on that, let's break it down for people out there on what the difference um, that long-term rental income versus that short-term rental income in the same property. Cause I know you guys have done that and uh, kind of give people an idea of the power of doing the Airbnb versus the long-term. Yeah. So our most recent uh, or not our most recent, but our, our, we had a long-term tenant in place. They were paying $2,600 a month. Before we actually bird it, so before we refinanced and cashed out, the mortgage was eleven hundred. So we were covering the water, garbage, and the long-term tenant was basically covering everything else: gas, electric, cable, all that good stuff. Um, so we had a pretty good cash flow once we cashed out and refinanced and took the money out that we put in. The mortgage went up to right around fifteen fifty, so just under sixteen hundred. And we're still at $2,600 a month in rent for the long-term tenant. This particular property, our tenant up and just left. Um, she And she was a really good tenant. This neighborhood is 
well known for giving great tenants. It's a great rental market. And she just all of a sudden one day she didn't pay. We were like, what's going on? And, you know, I called and called and usually she may be a day or two late. And then finally she calls me back and she's apologizing. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I moved to California. We're like, wait, what? (laughs) She's like, I got this job offer. I couldn't say no. My, my family came and, and moved all my stuff out. So the first thing I'm thinking is, oh my God, I hope the house isn't trashed. Like she was a single mom. Like she was always a really good tenant. So I wasn't too concerned, but there was a concern. So I raced over there. House was fine. House was, everything was great. So we started brainstorming. Okay. It was well, kind of brainstormed before we had a plan once she moved out, but she moved out way she was, sooner than we yeah. expected. So we hustled. Right. And and we had connected with, and, and this is like you mentioned, if you're not networking and reading books, you're not doing anything. And, and one big, big confidence builder for us is we had networked with a number of investors, many of whom have been doing these short-term rentals in residential kind of neighborhood areas. So when we talked to this person, they were like, she just did you a favor. You need to just right now. And like, we were like, are you sure? Like, it's like, just do it. And I'm like, we were thinking back when we did it before and this is in the same neighborhood. And we're like, you know what? Let's just do it. If we wait, you know, getting a tenant in the in the winter months in Chicagoland is never super easy. It's always a little, usually you lose a little bit on rent. This was kind of getting in the fall. So our goal was to get it listed on short-term rental websites before Labor Day weekend. It took us up to the Wednesday before, and we got it listed. But in terms of numbers, I know I'm getting off. Yeah. Um, oh no, so you're 26, good. We like details. We like details. Uh, so we're 2600. So we listed it that Wednesday night live. It was booked for that weekend that night, and then it just started. It started booking so fast, we had to raise the prices, uh, and then it slowed down, and then we were booked through Christmas. And it was like within a week, we were, we were like almost fully booked through October, November, and most of December. Um, and as in terms of gross, so we're making 2,600 gross rent long-term for September. I think we grossed 94. No, it's 8,000 for September. And then we raised the prices for October. So, yeah. And it, they're not all the same, right? Cause you know, it changes yeah. month to month. But I think December was like our best month, oh, November and December, 10, 000, over 10,000, 10, like gross again, gross. We have to remember that because you're paying a lot more expenses. Now you're, you're paying electric, you're playing gas, you're paying water, garbage, we're cleaners. Well, the cleaners, we tie into the price, but uh, you're paying Wi-Fi. We had to get like the top line Wi-Fi. Um, we, we, toilet paper, you know, soap, you know, all those things add up. Right. Mm-hmm. But still we're making $6,000 more well. than what we were. Um, that's that's one house. mind blowing to me because, you know, you guys literally went from having, you know, about 1500 bucks before your expenses, you know, before with the 2,600 to, between five and six thousand dollars a month cash flow, same property, and even if you spent fifteen grand, even if you spent twenty grand on furnishing and doing all of that stuff, um, you know, eight months out of that year, 
you paid you paid back for itself. I mean, you went from, you know, maybe doing ten thousand dollars a year in cash flow to now almost sixty thousand uh, after all expenses. It's like holy crap, and that's with one property. So no wonder right. you guys are expanding right now and you know growing that that short term rental. I mean, these numbers always blow my mind. James, what do you got? What's pretty cool is that you know you're kind of stressing out about getting this place rented out in the cold winter months for just a nominal amount of rent, but you just flip it over to the Airbnb side of things and the vacancy is going through the, you know, there's no vacancy and it's being booked up like crazy. Um, so that, that dichotomy is pretty amazing in itself. How do you go about figuring out what your rental rate is going to be on these Airbnbs and figuring out what a good vacancy rate might be? Cause it might not be 100% leased up all the time, because like, as you guys were suggesting, you might have the rates a little bit lower. So how do you guys go about figuring out what that sweet spot is? Honestly, um, I know a lot of people go on sites like Air, um, DNA. We, we really just keep studying and we look every single day and we look on typically Airbnb. Oh, actually, Airbnb and Verbo. We'll look into that market and we'll see, you know, what their what other Airbnbs are renting for. We look at their cleaning fees. We check out their calendars because you can see when those calendars are blocked off. Now, sometimes an, a host may just block off the calendar because they want to use that themselves. So if you are looking at something like a lake house or something like that, could be a possibility. They could just block it out, you know, because you you don't know. Um, you know, either way. But if you're looking at residential, like most likely people are not going to be blocking off, you know, a house, you know, a house in the suburbs somewhere. So that, you know, that, you know, that kind of goes to show you. And so we'll kind of look at, you know, how many days are booked and so bit like, you'll, if you look at a calendar and you, you see only like Fridays to Sunday booked, but then you don't get those bookings during the week then you have to kind of do your math that way. And to me, like, uh, I don't really know if it's worth it. But if you see that you you have like, even if it's Friday to Sunday, but you'll have like a Tuesday, Wednesday booking, like, okay, people are coming here during the week for other reasons. And so that is a good, you know, indicator as well. Uh, but you just have to kind of just study your market and really look into that is, you know, what I suggest. And then Right now, currently, because we 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 have one Airbnb in our market, and then we are we we listed another one, and we have another one that we're listing very soon. And then I'm actually managing um, an investors that we're we're in the process of furnishing right now, also in the same market. What's nice about that is kind of once you build up that status, people will just see like you're a super host. So they'll contact you and say, hey, you know, I know that you're fully booked in July, but do you have any other, you know, listings coming up? And so then you start to get more and more bookings before you even start to list them. And that, you know, that's that's like a benefit as well. So like if you do kind of start with one, if you continue looking in that same market, you have that opportunity. If you raise your cleaning free fee, in your market, like I raised $5, the cleaning fee for one house, I instantly raised it for the other house. You'll see the people around you that are looking at, like if we're their competition, they raise their prices too. They raise their cleaning fee. And now all of us, you know, if everybody was $275 a night, all of a sudden now everybody's like that. If their house looks like yours, now they're $375 a night because slowly everybody's kind of looking at each other's competition. But then your prices start to go up too. So even if you have some competition, it's not necessarily like a bad thing. 
and it's similar to you know people that would buy you know three rental properties on the same block. It's like you kind of start controlling mm-hmm. how much the rent is, and obviously we we compare our house to other houses and we look at the finishes. Like these these homes we have are like almost completely gut rehabbed, like really modern, like nice new homes compared to some others that are in the neighborhood that you know are are just older style but but nice. Um, so it, a lot of it, I think we kind of tested it at a, at a little bit of prices in the beginning and then things started booking fast and then we raised it and then it slowed down. And then we kind of got to that, like, okay, this is where it's really hitting everywhere. Uh, and now that we have a second and a third and a fourth in the same market, we can kind of start at that point. And once you learn like what people are looking for, how many people it's going to sleep, you know, all of those things factor in. You know, if it's just a you know one bedroom condo versus if it's a three bedroom house that sleeps eight or ten people, um, you know it's going to change. And there's a lot of creative ways to go about that pricing to attract the most people. So let's so let's talk about your market a little bit. You know, what how would you describe the clients that you have coming to stay at your Airbnb? Like, who who is your ideal client? And also, what are you guys looking for in the property that you're buying in your market to be a great match? for those clients? So most of our guests are, are people that are visiting family. It's weddings, funerals, people just coming to visit. We get a lot of people that are doing renovations in the area that need a place to stay uh, while those renovations are being done. We have transplant people that are staying while they're waiting for to close on their house. We do have people that come in because they're going to concerts, they're going to certain things in, in the city because we are pretty close to a really good train line. Um, but for the most part, our guests are guests who are who have a knowledge of the area or family in the area. Um, we have had some like business people that have come through with their crew uh, and and have and had to stay and, and have gone to different areas around. Um, but for the most part, it seems like we're getting mostly groups. So like multiple families or bigger groups of people and uh, mostly people that are pretty much staying fairly local to to the burbs. Not as many that are like we're going, you know, we're going to Soldier Field or we're going to a Cubs game. Um, it's more about. Uh, do you agree? I feel like I agree. But I, I just want to add one thing. Just um we are not doing so well just because of our market. When we were going to do this, we were hesitant as well. And we um, networked with Kevin Christensen, who has Airbnbs in some town in Delaware that I've never heard of. Dover or something. I don't know. Sorry, Kevin. It's a pretty big city. I don't know. That's <laughs> um, Okay, I don't know. Um, But somewhere, but somewhere, I think in the suburbs, he said of like the city, but he said, you guys, like, it just, you're going to make money. So, you know, as long as, you know, the suburb or town or whatever is like, they don't have ordinances against short term rentals. And some do, but they don't really enforce it, but some truly enforce it. So you have to do your research. But as long as that's not happening and you see that maybe there's, you know, maybe there could be a need for that, like you should go for it. Because I think, you know, what we found is that, you know, 
a three bedroom home can sleep 10 people here. We have basements where we live. So that's, that's nice. Right. And even though there are hotels in the area, you know, if you're traveling with a group of people, everybody has to get their own hotel room. People like to gather together. They like to have dinner together. And so as long as you're able to provide that now, that's not the only way. I mean, there's definitely different other short-term rentals you can have. Um, but Kevin kind of whipped us into shape a little bit. Uh, he's using some some language that I, I don't truly use, but he, he was really funny. But he's like, you guys just go for it. You're going to make money. You're going to do this. You just got to just do it. And it was it was really, really helpful. But I think what he kind of let us realize is that, you know, you just have to kind of go for it and do it. And you got to kind of trust your gut a little bit. And also when you get started, you're going to you're going to want to have a little bit of lower rates than your competition, not like truly low, but you want to get some bookings to start getting reviews. And once you start getting those reviews, then, you know, that's when you start to raise your prices. The so. reviews, yeah, the reviews are big. Mm-hmm. I love it. <clears throat> I really do. I mean, you guys know, I always say, decide, commit, take action. And that's exactly, basically in a nutshell, you know, what you said right there. So, so that's huge. So let's zoom out a little bit. So um, you guys have, uh, I think it was what, 10 properties, 11, 11 doors. Now we're more than that. We, we have, we have a couple under contract, um, kind of some stuff going on. (laughs) I think we have 15 doors total, four of which are going to be short-term rentals. All right, so four short-term rentals, um, 15 total doors, so 11 long-term, four short-term, and then you got a couple under contract. So, you know, let's give let's give the people what they what they want, which is what does that what does that mean for you? You know, this podcast is all about financial independence, right? You guys have been doing this for a long time. You don't have to give us exact numbers, you know but everybody loves round numbers. Everybody loves talking about the cash and why we all do this, right? To become financially free. So with your current portfolio, not with the ones under contract, you know, what does that look like for you and and your family? So right now we, we have goals, obviously like most, most people, especially in real estate, uh, I was able to step away from teaching because our rental portfolio allowed for that. And it allowed me to focus 100% on real estate, which is pretty much 50-50 realtor side and 50% investor side or a little bit of both, whatever. Um, The next goal is to reach enough that will allow for Lily to step away from teaching at some point. Um, We've got that number down where it covers our health insurance, all expenses, to where we have enough cash flow coming in that if the market takes a big turn and we can't do anything, our rentals will still be providing for us. Um, and that's kind of where we're at right now. We, everything that we, we get in far as cash flow, we've been investing back into the, we, you know, we're not at that point. It has given us a solid foundation to that makes it comfortable for me to not teach. Um, but I'm also have a, a realtor side, which is essentially another business uh, where we're getting income for that. But 
most of our money is going right back into you know rehabbing so that we can refinance and pull that money back out and then really stacking and and we want to get to that apartment building multifamily and have a good diverse portfolio of single family long-term rentals short-term rentals in neighborhoods and then short-term rentals in touristy areas and then multi so I don't know if you guys have done this math, but have you kind of thought about how long it would have taken you guys to get where you want to go with the long-term rental play versus the short-term rental play? And have you guys thought about, you know, looking back, like what, how different of a position you guys would be in? Yeah, you know, I think we said that we wanted to be, what, 40 doors by the time she's at 40, and that's four years away. I think we're going to blow that out of the water um, now. And even though the market is really, really difficult, especially for people that are looking to burr right now, uh, it's really challenging. But we're still, you know, we've, we've done some creative financing deals. We've, you know, started really amping up our off-market search but uh as as far as timeline is concerned like we didn't really have a hard date i don't think that it was like okay we want to be completely 100 financially free by this date but i think i'm a big deadline person and we've been you know we have a vision board and like things that really you know gravitate towards where we want to be and now that we're seeing what we are seeing with our rentals and what they're doing for us and even the short term now we kind of have a plan that's really kind of coming like the vision is coming like we know like okay if we can get this five to eight unit we'll be at this amount of cash flow which is going to cut that down you know where we need to be and we can get two or three of these and then we'll be there and then it's like just stabilize and once that's all stabilized then it's like although she loves teaching okay now it's time to join here to where we can expand even more. But I don't know that I answered your question, but I don't think there's hey, a- hey, Look, if you don't feel comfortable giving out any numbers, like that's totally okay. Um, you know, I, I think people love to love to know like the goal, say you say your goal is 30 grand a month. You're like, hey, we're 40% there. Like people can do the math, you know, but I, I think a lot of people have ideas of what, someone who has 15 properties, you know, makes like everyone's a millionaire, you know, and the reality is most people aren't, you know, most right. people are still working. She's still teaching. You're still doing, uh, be, being an agent and you guys have, you know, a multi-million dollar portfolio, but that doesn't mean that you're chilling on the beach and your kids are going to the best private school. Um, so I, I like to ask that just to kind of give people realistic ideas of of where people you know are at with that and and what their goals are because to someone who has one door or zero doors you know your portfolio is like their dream portfolio you know um you know and- it's interesting i'm sorry not to cut you off like it, it changes though right i think for everybody like our original goal was okay we need to get uh like for my teaching income I'm like, okay, if we can get cash flow that matches what I was making as a teacher, we'll say $6,000 a month, then I can step away. And then now it's like, okay, if we can match what she's making, and then we're like, but wait, now we have to get private insurance, health insurance. So we had to do the math there. So I think it, it kind of changes. 
based on your goals and and like right now like we've we've accomplished that you know 6000 ish and now like it's kind of focused on all right what do we need what else can we buy to get to that point mm-hmm. that'll help us which is going to be you know with insurance and everything so i think with strs i mean could i step away right now yes i definitely could um however we have short term rentals that are making fantastic money but if there is a change in an ordinance that's shutting down that business and we're still going to be cash flowing, not nearly as much because we talked about those numbers. And so that is the concern. Um, so really, I mean, it, it would just be too risky to, to do that now. And so that's kind of why we want to get some more long-term rentals where that is more consistent, if that makes sense. And have that. So I kind of look at, you know, the short-term rental money is kind of like the icing on top, you know, get it's, it's good. Um, but like you said, you want your foundation to be solid and your foundation is going to be in those long-term rental assets. And then you're going to, you know, exponentially grow that cash flow with their short-term rentals. That'll be nice, but they still make sense if you had to go back to long-term rentals. And I think that's huge. And what I'm hearing is that you guys have thought about all the different strategies. You've thought about all the different, I mean, exit strategies or changes in the market, changes in ordinance, because people have to understand that when, and like you said, as you, as you hit these goals, your goals change because right now your or your goal is like, Hey, 5,000 and you get there and you're like, all right, well, does 5,000 really do it for me? Or what changes if I actually quit my job? How much is insurance? You know, uh, should I put in another year for my 401k or do this or do that? And, but you don't think about that until you reach that goal. And, and then the goal gets a little bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think that's, that's huge for everybody listening out there to realize that it's a, it's a cyclical thing, you know, it goes up and down and your goals change a little oh, bit. Okay. Um, but I think, it sounds like to me right now, you guys are kind of in that exponential growth phase where it's been slow and steady, slow and steady. And then over like the last year, maybe two, yes. if not two years, everything has started to hit this. And you're like, we're not, we're not taking our foot off the gas pedal. Like, let's just keep, keep going. And we can achieve that um, in a very short amount of time. James, what do you it- think? That's exactly what it is too. I'm sorry, um, James cut you off there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like if, if I step away from my, my job right now, then we need to use some of that income and then it's just not going to continue to snowball at this point. What I was going to say is listening to your guys' story, you know, someone looking at it from the outside when you guys first started might've thought that you guys are making a huge risk. You know, you're might be putting your money in risk and you're going to fail and you're going to do this, that, and the other, and it might not turn out the way you thought it would. But by taking those risks, you guys have actually put yourselves in a safer position because now you have all these different streams of income. Uh, you've got the realtor agent in- income coming in. You're still maintaining that safe teacher salary coming in. You have the option to leave that if you want to, but like you guys keep saying and coming back to, you don't know what the future holds. So having those different sources, different types of sources, long-term, short-term, multifamily, uh, agent business income that you guys are developing on that side, plus the you know the salary coming in as a teacher, 
is putting you guys in a much safer position relative to where you guys were before, not depending on one source, and also giving you at the same time that exponential growth that Patrick is talking about. So um, that's I think that's amazing. I think people you know need to have an appreciation. Sorry, we, we yeah. lost it there for a second. But Something yeah, kind of froze you. up. I don't know if it was mine. Did you catch me, it's Patrick? Or... I did, I yeah. I just, just cut off for a second. <laughs> well, as long as, uh, as, long as our you. guests could hear me, that's that's good. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was just saying basically. I, I thank you. you. Right. No, no bigger, bigger appreciation for that. No, I think I, I, we appreciate it. And, you know, it's. I think it's also like about, you know, how you manage your money too. I mean, there's just so many moving pieces too. It's like, you know, we have a pretty solid portfolio, but we have walls in our house that have not like that are half painted, like for two years, you guys, um, you know what I mean? Like we have a That's basement so that has, um, you know, that is, has some framing done. Blaine just demoed it and started framing and then got busy and there we go. You know what I mean? So our rentals look nice. For me. <laughs> yeah. It, like, and they're oh so gosh. like decorated, like to the T. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing with being an investor like this. I feel like in, it sounded like you guys are experiencing the same thing. You keep reinvesting into yourself and into your deals that, you know, you, you create this external impression on others that maybe you're like super successful and I'm sure, you know, we all are, we're doing these things great, but you have these like other things that you're kind of financially not, I'm not going to say wasting money on, but not putting resources into at the expense of growing the future investments that you guys are prioritizing. I know I see that in myself all the time. Like I drive like a not great car, you know, 2009, 200,000 miles, and I do that because I'm plowing all my cash into investments and other opportunities, things like that. Um, so I, I totally get where you're coming from. That's so funny because, you know, I will I will not think about spending $3,000 on multiple rentals to get like vinyl plank flooring and everything else. I've got six-year-old carpet, like brown carpet in my house right now that Danielle has been dying for us to get new flooring done and i'm like that doesn't bring any more rent right exactly come on like i i feel you like we haven't painted our house since we bought it like we're in the same boat we've been wanting to do our basement i'm like you know what we need like 10 to 15 more units and then we can do whatever you want honey like we'll we'll knock the house down and build a new house i don't really care like just just wait a second here so you guys, it's so funny. And I think this opens up such a good part for people listening out there. Like, hey, every single one of us is literally putting every single dollar in into our business, you know, to grow because it's that delayed gratification that I think a lot of people who are thinking about getting into real estate or are just starting out don't really think about when they think about being at a level that all of us are kind of at um, is that you still have such a long way to go to really accomplish those big dreams. So I think that's huge. I kind of wanted to revert back a little bit because I think there's a nugget or two in here that we kind of glossed over. And one of them was, I heard you talk about having some creative financing that you guys did on a property or two. So I'd really like to touch base on that. And then um, 
Shit. Number two was um, crap. let's go on the creative finance. I'll start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Another <laughs> one there that I was oh off market, off market deals. So you okay. said off market deals. So creative financing and off market deals. I'd really love to learn more about that because I'm I'm doing the same thing. So yeah, so uh, we decided that you know we should try to go after some you know seller financing slash creative financing deals um, because we're getting, I wouldn't say maxed out, but we, we see the benefit, right? And we are like, is it could be a win-win. As long as you can explain it to the seller in a way where they understand it really, truly, clearly, um, they see that it's a win for them, it's a win for us, and everybody ends up making out on it and the bank doesn't take over everything. Um, so we, we found a, a house that was down in Southern Illinois and it was listed on the MLS, which is usually even harder to, to do a creative financing deal. And I started talking to the agent and I'm licensed in Illinois. So I could just easily just throw a referral fee. Um, But I said, you know, what if we would this, would the sellers be open to creative financing or seller financing? And she's like, yeah, I think they would. And I'm like, well, are you, familiar with it. And she said, I am. And I said, okay, great. So I, I kind of drew up essentially four different offers for, to present to, to her. And, and I basically, I told her, I said, listen, you're going to get both sides of the commission. I'm not asking for a referral fee or anything. So you're going to make more money. Seller's going to make more money and we're going to save more money. So I'm like, this could be a three-way trifecta. So we we wrote up an offer that was all cash with our hard money lender that we it was legit offer but it was really low you know I told them like this is it it was almost 110 grand below where they were asking um, second one was us taking out a regular conventional 10 percent down loan and it was you know we didn't really want them to take that offer so we didn't only went up a little bit uh, and then the two that were kind of more where we were hoping they were, we went a little higher. So we came up, we offered them basically 5% down, amateurized at 15 years with a balloon payment in five, but the closing costs were gonna be delayed for six months. So that was one that was, I thought they were gonna be pretty close to agreeing to. And then the other one, we went up even higher on the purchase price, we kept the 5% down, but we amortized it over 30 years. And the balloon payment wasn't until I think 10 is what I put. So they countered our cash offer. It wasn't really where we wanted to be for you know all the potential holding costs with our hard money. And then they, they or they said, we'll agree to the uh, the third offer, which was essentially it was two hundred thirty five thousand, and they were listed at two ninety two, so we felt like this is awesome. Um, the house itself is in fairly you know pretty good shape. We're gonna do some rehab to it. The biggest it's a lake house, so it's it's on a lake, has lake frontage, and the boat dock I think is the biggest issue. Um, that's gonna be probably our biggest expense, but we see a lot of potential for not only short-term, but just long-term. Uh, we plan to keep this house for a long time and 
the market in the, on this lake has exploded over the last few years. So we are excited. We're about to close on that one next week. So we're almost there. And if I, I could add something as well, I, I think like, you know, we kept going back and forth with these different numbers, even though this was MLS seller financing is not just like a, you throw one offer down and you're done. You've got to put in the work. And you have to, you know, do a little bit of the back and forth thing. But ultimately, we know we knew what the seller wanted. The seller wanted a certain amount of money and a, like, you, you know, a, a big chunk of money. And the seller wanted an, a certain amount each month. Like, that's what they were really hoping for. And so essentially, you know, like, I think once we kind of knew that, then we said, hey, well, we'll give you exactly what you're asking for. We're just going to give it to you in six months. And so that was kind of, you know, that was kind of, they were kind of like, well, I don't know about, you know, they were kind of okay with it because it was still what they wanted. The money wasn't right now, but that house isn't, hasn't been selling. So I think like, you know, what we learned is that you just have to you know, kind of see what they want. It has to be a win-win for everybody. Like, like Blaine said, you know, just to make sure that the owner is also happy, you know, with the situations. I'm sure if they go and talk to somebody, they're going to say, why did you go with this, you know, with this idea, but there is definitely benefits, I think, to all involved. And coming into it with an open mind and being creative, you know, coming up with, like, I think, if I wouldn't have given them three options or four options, I think we might not have been able to get the deal done. Um, so that's why it's called, you know, creative financing, I guess. For sure. I absolutely love this strategy. I've done it myself before. And it's it's one of those things where it, I think it can go both ways. If you know what they're motivated by, or if you don't know what they're motivated by, I feel like it can work both ways because it helps pinpoint the seller down into recognizing what they want, even if they don't know what they want, because they're going to have these different options to compare between each other. Um, so I think that's a fantastic thing to do. What I like most about it is normally when anyone submits an offer, you know, buying retail, it's a yes, no binary kind of situation. There's not going to be this negotiation happening for the most part, especially if you're buying something that's super hot on the market, they're going to pick their favorite offer and maybe make some adjustments and go from there. With this kind of strategy, making an offer in this way, it turns it from yes, no to either or. And the seller gets to pick the terms that are most attractive. And you get to flesh that out in a more uh, one-on-one way. So I think it's psychologically, I think it gives a lot to you guys as the buyer to be able to adjust your offer to be on the same page with the seller. And so like you guys say, you can have that trifecta. Everyone's benefiting from it. Totally agree. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I'm actually submitting a seller financing offer today as well. <laughs> I have a, I have an idea on where this guy needs to be. I draw, I drew it all up. Haven't sent it to him yet, but I was only sending him one. And now, after talking to you guys, I'm definitely going to send him at least two. Um, I love the the 30 year and five year balloon. I'm doing all that. I was thinking 10%, but I'm going to lower it to five and just see what he says. What interest rate did you go on that? I'm just wondering with the interest rates rising. Zero. Zero. Oh my God. How, you, le- you left out the greatest part of that? Yeah. I'm going to 
so you got a 15 year am right 15 year amortization for people out there 5% down 5 year balloon which means that you have to refinance into conventional financing uh, to pay off the existing note. Please do not tell me this is interest only, right? Okay, so you do have to give zero percent. So all right, but zero percent. And and then interest. yeah, and then so we split it up. So is it the down payment is in six months or the the commission the closing? We we we're, we're we are paying the closing costs. So we're paying the down, yeah, the down payment and the closing costs. In six the months? The down payment and closing costs six months after you get access and have the property. So Once we start even, making money on Airbnb, yes. Then you have to pay That's them. the point. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to say, I think this is possibly the best deal that we've heard anyone mm-hmm. explain on our podcast and you are making me extremely jealous right now. I'm like, I need to go get a better. I thought I've done two pretty good seller financing deals, but man, you guys absolutely hit it out of the park. And the biggest thing is you just asked, like you just asked. And I mean, look, you, you don't even, you don't even need any money. Like you're going to be making money off the property before you even pay for any of it. And you got a 0% interest when interest rates are rising, inflation's going crazy. And you just, oh my gosh. That's that amazing. was due to education. That was a pace morphy strategy. <laughs> and there's still, there. I mean, come on. There, we, we, there's still risks involved. It's there, you know, there's a lot going on here and it's going to be short-term rental and we're testing a market that's starting to grow really well. So I don't want to say it's a complete home run grand slam, but yes, we are really, really excited. Look, you can be um, as humble as you want, but okay, to get to get zero percent interest, you know, and all of that deferred down payment and everything else. I mean, that's a slam dunk. I mean, it, it really is. So, and you got other you got other stuff going on. So, if stuff doesn't work out, you can come up with the money from your other investments, which you guys have thought about. So, right. again, it's you you're knowledgeable, which you are, right? You found an opportunity and you asked and you, I'm sure you did a lot of digging in between to see where the guy wanted and you, you worked backwards to put the deal together for it to make sense. Um, So that's awesome. Hasn't closed yet. So I know that's why you're still a little leery about everything. Once it was supposed to close. Yeah. It was supposed to close tomorrow, but it got pushed a couple of, couple of days. So we would have been more excited today about, about, you know, celebrating is right now, but that's, that's awesome. Congratulations. I can't wait to see, to see more on that one. I mean, and I just think you guys just, just gave everybody something to really take away from this. Yeah, um, I'm excited. We're, we're really excited. And that's, that's really huge. So, all right, you just dropped some serious bombs on us on that one. Tell us about what you're doing to find uh, some off market off-market deals what, what does that is, look like this is challenging you know uh we've been I, I, honestly i think it starts with networking i think it starts with just being a good person uh we've been getting so many leads just from people that we give referrals to especially contractors you know contractors that we we treat well and you know we send them more business and then they hear oh this guy's looking to sell and then they tell us like today i met with two 
two different uh, owners and they're both off-market properties and that they both came from a contractor who we've used a number of times. So, I, you know, I think being a good person and, and treating people the way you want to be treated is always going to help. But networking, I mean, honestly, like Instagram, social media, like we we do a lot of, you know, reels and things like that. And then we have people like just reaching out to us and it's like, Hey, I have this property. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. What? And I'm like, let me, let me stop over. I'll take a look. And, you know, maybe we work out a deal between the two of us. If not, I'll try to sell it for you, you know, kind of help, help out the best we can. But we've looked into doing the cold calling kind of, uh, we talked to a bunch of people who have been doing the virtual assistance. We have not signed on to this yet, but everyone that we talk to that are getting a lot of leads, this is what they're doing. You know, they're using PropStream, which we've dabbled with a little bit. Um, looking into the virtual assistants that will just make those 500 calls a day um, and try to get some leads that way, but we haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet. So we've been looking into these things because it's it's hard right now. Um, to get, you know, and then we've, we've used some wholesalers, you know, sending us something, but we haven't closed a deal with any yet. Um, so that's, this is all still kind of in the works. Um, and we're always looking to connect with people that, you know, have ideas that uh, to find, you know, off market deals. So it's, I know James, James has got, uh, James has got some uh, experience with, with off-market, right, James? Yeah. I mean, it's just something you got to be consistent at. I've never used a VA and done cold calling or anything like that. But, you know, as far as your mailing and your systems go, you just have to be consistent. And you're going to have some dry months and some really busy months, but you got to be available to take action on those leads whenever they come in and just do that repeatable process every week, every month. Um, and follow through with it each time. You you guys had mentioned that you might be managing a short-term rental for an investor, right? Did I hear that correctly? Yes, you did. Tell, tell us about that deal. Um, well, it was uh, an investor. I have a, a meetup. It's been mostly virtual. And once everything kind of started with uh, COVID opening up, we, um, I have hosted also in-person meetups as well. Networking. Networking, networking yes. Yeah. Um, and I had, uh, an investor as a, a guest speaker as, at a recent event that I had. And she had asked me the next day if I would design her, her, she has a house that she just finished rehab on. And it's very close to actually, you know, where our STR is. And she said, would you design it when it comes, you know, as far as like the furniture goes and order everything for a flat fee? And then would I be interested in managing it? And I said, sure, this is like right in our market. You know, this will provide more work for our cleaners. And um, I get a little bit of a cut. And also we're at the point where we're getting so many people asking us for if we have more listings coming up that I can just kind of send business her way before, you know, we even furnish. And so now we're at the point where um, most of the furniture has arrived. She's got um, a handyman working right now, um, assembling everything. And um, yeah, we'll be live next week. And it's like, so, cool. so now we have, we had three different investors that have reached us, reached out to us in just the last couple of weeks. And like, we've been a really good team. Obviously you have to, when, when you're doing not only short-term rentals, but investing in general, 
But like when we started doing the short-term rentals, like Lily and her mom, like just setting up a system with like what we need to order, getting stuff assembled. You know, the hardest part, I think, to any short-term rental is furnishing it and getting it ready. Um, so she, you know, got this I offer. I She's got it. Like clockwork. And I met with an investor this morning who was considering, you know, converting a couple of his rentals into short-term. And I talked to him and I told him what, what we've been doing, what, how Lily's been doing it. And he sent me a text. He's like, I think we're going to hire you guys. And it's like, this isn't even a planned business. You know, yeah. you're like, um, we're not even in business. Like, right. <laughs> I was like, do we need to open up an LLC for this? It's so right? funny. It's so funny how this whole thing started because you said, Hey, we're just going to list this apartment in this three flat on Airbnb and see how it goes back in 09. And here we are 2022. And now you're like, Oh, well, we'll help this person out. And now you all now you almost have a business of helping people get started on Airbnb, like how the tables have turned, huh? And you know what? Like that's another thing about, and obviously not everybody wants to do this, but our reviews. Like we we work hard to not only to get these reviews, but we reach out to our guests that haven't given us the review to get them to leave reviews. And when they leave us, I think we have 100% five star. We do. Um, but they get detailed like about not only the house, but like our communication and, and how like when they needed something, we were there. It's hospitality. Like, so when other investors go on and they can read all of our reviews and they're thinking about hiring someone, they, I mean, they're like, oh my gosh, this, these guys are getting great reviews. And now all we have to do is obviously keep up. Well, that's a great thing to manage too. I'm sorry, sorry James. I said, are, are you guys going to, uh, going to manage it for them too this one yes. yes i i mean i hear this is just what i've i've reached out i hear that's anywhere from like 15 to 20 percent um i don't know if you guys are going to be in that range but that's it's 20 it's awesome. 20 yeah it's 20 to 30 percent. i told her i'll take 20 percent, and then the next day another investor asked reached out to me as well i am that a higher right, price. So they are going to drop their Instagram and ways to contact them later. So if you need them to do that in the area, it's going to be 30, 30% with a discount. <laughs> the real FI podcast. We do, we do an inverse discount on this podcast. So you're going to pay more. Um, Thanks. Appreciate it guys. Pay more because they'll be so busy. So yeah. That's, well, that's, that's so I think that's what's so cool about the short-term rental space for those investors who want to take a more passive route, like, you know, investing in real estate, you know, people get into it because they think it's passive and then you get elbow deep in repairing a toilet or evicting a tenant when you're trying to manage it yourself. So then you go on to like, if you didn't already start there, trying to find a property manager. But the biggest problem with having a long-term rental is finding a good property manager. I don't know if you guys have had problems with any property managers I haven't had like any horror stories, but I've also come across those managers that I know would have done better if I had, you know, researched them ahead of time and maybe known what I was getting into. And that's what's so cool about the short-term rental space is everything that you guys do is out there for peer review. and You can see what your guys' ratings are. So if you have a client who's going to come to you and you're going to manage the property, they can vet you that way very clearly. They're going to know what your track record is from the beginning. So I think that's really cool opportunity that you guys have and you're capitalizing on to make sure that you can market yourself 
uh, for that potential business that appears to be starting right in front of our eyes. Yeah, I, I agree. And and like my big thing is like I, I really like even for my long-term tenants, and and we are self-managing currently all of our properties, but like I want my tenants happy. So like I really work hard to make sure they they're happy and and they enjoy living there because I want them to stay. You know, the less turnaround turnover is better for me. So um, and same thing with our guests, like. And and I don't know how other investors are, but I don't sleep much, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> so it's like, um, you know, if if someone you know has a problem and like my phone is next to me, you know, I wake up or I'm still awake and I'm just like boom boom boom, and I just respond to them right away. And they're like, oh my goodness, thank God, you know, he, he responded in 15 seconds, you know, and they post that in their reviews. Um, but I, I agree, it, you know, we've. We go on plenty of trips and we use short-term rentals as a place to stay in lieu of hotels. And the first thing we do is look at, you know, those reviews. And some of them is like, whoa, man, these are some bad reviews. Like, we're not staying here. Or And the same thing, like you mentioned, like other investors aren't going to want that management. I'd be curious to know if those ones that you stayed at that were poorly reviewed, whether they, you know, were owner managed or third-party managed or, or what the situation was there. I know... You know, in experience, like I started out just real estate investor, hiring it out to property managers and just, you know, putting my trust in them. And then I became a property manager and an agent managing my own properties as well as other people's. And I can see how property managers can fall into the trap of just collecting that rent check and not giving a shit about the property after that. As long as the rent check's coming in, you know, there's nothing to worry about. But the good property managers are going to be the ones going out there doing inspections checking in, doing the walkthroughs, constant communications. Um, so I think that's great that you guys can have that all on display so you can showcase this to other people. Yeah, I agree. Me too. Me too. Well, guys, I mean, we have packed a ton into this little more than an hour right now, and I think we could just keep going. But this is the part of the podcast where we've changed the name, three or four times, but I think we're going to go back to the big three. I think we're going back to, instead of the wrap up, we're going to call this one the big three. So the big three. Man, I had four on this one. I think we're going to have to rename it again. The, the big four. And we don't edit these <laughs> podcasts. So everything that's in here is staying. So let's call it the big four, James. The big four. Let's do it. So the big one of the big four, um, What's something that you guys know and that you guys do that feels like a cheat code to achieving financial independence? Something that you guys have kind of started doing that, you know, just feels like everyone should know. It just seems like an obvious key, but just isn't. What's that cheat code for financial independence that you guys know? Man, that's a tough question. Because I feel like we covered a lot. I think one, I mean... I, I don't necessarily know if this would be, I suppose, a cheat code, but, you know, Blaine was never active on social media, like at all. Like he didn't even have a Facebook, like when we met or anything. And then he started kind of posting some like quotes on there or whatever. And that sort of grew. And we had so many friends that just like, I felt like made so many jokes about it. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're 40. Now he's a little bit older. Um, but he's like, you know, you're 40. Like, what are you doing posting on social media and stuff? And then I feel like 
when you show people what you believe in, who you are, what you do, they internally want to help you. And, and essentially it's like, you know, we, we are who we are, whether we are at a meetup, at a podcast, at, you know, in front of an Instagram live, like we are who we are. And I feel like people kind of get to know us. They feel like they know us. We sometimes people reach out. We don't know who they are, but they feel like they know us. But I think what happens internally is then, you know, that will either sometimes lead to Blaine having a client. Sometimes that would lead just to someone saying, Hey, like there's like a really like nasty house, like, you know, on this and the street, like it's abandoned. Um, because people want then to see you succeed because you kind of put yourself out there for all to see. So I feel like if you're, you're that person that hasn't posted anything about investing and you're doing it, post it, like let people know and get out of your shell. Cause I feel like it took him a while to do that. And then you just have to build that tough skin. And now it's like, we actually get really positive, like feedback. And like a lot of those people are liking all of our posts. So it's like "Mm." my, my cheat code. (laughs) And, and when I think about cheat code, I think if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And number one, it's just reading and educating yourself. And number two is networking. If I take those two things away, there's no way I'm where I'm at. Cause I would never have built that confidence by reading, you know, reading rich dad, poor dad, like everybody else. And then just piggybacking onto the 30 other books that I've read, you know, that I was all focused on real estate mindset uh, and just those things, those two things, if, if you're not doing those things, I'd be surprised that you're not successful, that you're successful. You know what? That was the perfect segue. And I think those were both two really great answers to our first question. But that was the perfect segue into question number two, which is, are there any books, podcasts, people or research or um, uh resources that have really shaped your financial independence journey that is not rich dad poor dad because that is the one that everybody said so so drop drop some other ones for the people out there to go blames the book guy yeah uh you know i'm really big on on mindset because i feel like in in real estate you have to be open-minded you have to be really driven to be ready and prepared for anything that can happen. Um, Who Not How is a great book that I recently read. And then I read his, uh, the next book after that, The Gap and the Gain, Um, two wonderful books. And then back to the mindset side, uh, James Clear is is one of my favorite authors. Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits uh, is one that you know, I, I feel like James Clear is in my brain uh, when it comes to just mindset and, and just believing in yourself um, because you have to. And then, you know, the podcast side of it, we wouldn't be anywhere if we didn't listen to Bigger Pockets. Um, right from the beginning, one of my friends, actually the friend that moved to North Carolina, he was the one that introduced it to me. And I started right away listening and I was like, what? And then I got her on it, not knowing that she was going to just dive right in. And then I just, you know, read the rich dad, poor dad, think and grow rich, all those books, you know. Um, But it's, it's kind of evolved into like mindset and then really just keeping current with all the new real estate education. 
That's awesome. A lot of great books there. I think uh, Atomic Habits, fantastic book. Uh, I would second that one. Absolutely. So for the next question, uh, we're going to do a little bit of, I don't know if you call it role playing or mental exercise or whatever. So it's five years in the future. Okay. You guys have been working at this steadily, building up your portfolio. What excites you guys most about reaching financial independence, you know, and in yourselves in the position that you guys are in five years in the future? In terms of business, in terms of personal life, uh, what excites you guys the most? You want to go first? Sure, I can go first. Okay, so here's how our day is going to be. Oh, oh you got it all planned out. <laughs> you didn't even ask me what my day She's already decided. She's, She's telling like, you what you're doing. I have day planned out. I've been waiting for this question. Yeah. <laughs> she throws her hair back. Um, okay, so we're going to wake up in the morning and make breakfast for the kids, and we're going to walk them to school. Um, currently blankets to I do, do this, but I don't. Okay. Um, and then he and I are going to hit up the gym together because we, uh, are very active people. However, we have to work out on separate schedules because we have kids and jobs and all this stuff. So we'll go and have a good workout. Then we're going to get some work in. We're going to look at properties. Um, and then <laughs> then we'll it, pick huh? up the kids. However, um, the big thing with us is we're huge on, on travel. And so we traveled a lot when we were broke teachers, we carpooled or not uh, road tripped everywhere. Um, and we would just kind of get away. And now we really want to, and are looking forward to more getting into a place with that and really showing the world to our family. I was born in Poland. I'm an immigrant. The world is so big and we can go to so many places and travel. And so as long as the kids sports do not interfere with this, because I know they will at that age in five years, um, we'll definitely be doing a lot of traveling together. But as far as like a daily plan, you know, we're just looking to making sure that we get that fitness in, we get, you know, that education and that thing time, that mindset, maybe hit up a yoga class, you know, when the kids are at school and life is just, you know, normal how life goes, but making sure that we have lots of trips planned with, for them, with them. And, and for me, it's obviously very similar. Uh, we are <laughs> compatible, <laughs> but for me, I am also a musician and I really see the future where I can focus on getting back into the studio or back into like a band, you know, and, and really does, you know, designating some time for music and, that's something that has really taken a back seat over the years and uh, I miss it. And I know I'm really good at it and creative when it comes to writing music and being in a band. So that's definitely one big, big financial freedom goal of mine um, on top of all of that stuff that she said. And a lot of that stuff she said, I kind of feel bad because like I got a lot of that right now. Like I got the walking the kids to school and, and, you know, having the middle of the day workout and just today, like just meeting with other people and networking about real estate. And that's uh, definitely a, our, our five-year goal. That seed has been planted. That's awesome. I love it. I mean, I, I absolutely um, love it. Quick question, guitar, bass, drums, singer. What, what do we got? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. All of the above. Piano I, as well. My son had piano lessons today. We have a baby grand in the house. I've got, I've been playing guitar since I've been like 16. I was in a really good rock band for probably four or five years in the nineties. We started out doing, you know, the typical pumpkins, Nirvana type 
cover band and then we evolved into doing like all originals we have like three or four albums um but yeah i play a little bit of drums bass guitar and piano and uh probably singing is more on the lower side but i'm getting better <laughs> would you drop the name for us i need to go check this out now oh boy so uh the band back in the day was a parade of fools. Uh, <laughs> if you go on uh, Reverb Nation, we do have like most of our albums on there. And then on Reverb Nation, you can also find my solo stuff, which is Blaine Kosek. Uh, and yeah, it's got we got some we got some good songs there. It's mostly I would say alternative rock, I guess you could call it. I love it. That's awesome. We're definitely going to link so, to that in our show notes. We are. Thanks. We are going to link to our favorite song on there. <laughs> All right. Great, guys. Well, this has been awesome. I know I've taken a lot away from this and I'm going to use these nuggets right now. So by the time anyone's listening to this, I've already used that uh, to hopefully close a deal. So, all right, for everybody out there, what's the best way to get in touch of both of you? Maybe subscribe to that virtual meetup. Where can people reach out? Definitely Lily's meetup. do you, how did you do that? Contact me at lilykosek at gmail, L-I-L-Y-K-O-S-E-K at gmail. And then Mia, it's mostly Instagram. So at Realtor Blaine, and uh, I'm very responsive. So you send me a message. I recently made a few posts that I'm willing to mentor people for free. Anyone that's really getting started that they don't really know how to, you know, push through and build that confidence, let me know. I'll set up a quick free, you know, zoom call with you and kind of lead you however i can that's awesome everybody need to take advantage of that yeah definitely i know i will because you guys dropped some nuggets on me so we'll be doing another zoom call all right everybody well we're wrapping this episode up um make sure to leave us a review follow us on spotify apple google all that good stuff tell us if you loved it tell us if you hated it what we need to do better And make sure to subscribe to YouTube because we have like 15 subscribers. So we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Real FI podcast, where you learn from the investors that have lived the hard lessons for you. To connect with us during your pursuit of financial independence, be sure to join our community by following us on Instagram or emailing us at info at therealfi.com. If this content made you financially, mentally, physically, or spiritually richer, please make sure to leave us a positive review on your preferred content platform. Cheers to kicking the nine to five. Thank you.